Welcome to the Pro Vocal Artist Podcast. In today's episode, I have a guest, one of my good friends, vocal coach, and one of my favorite voice experts, Ian Davidson. And we're discussing mindset and intention when it comes to singing, trying to get to the bottom of what the singer's why is when they produce a sound and how important that is. It's the first action in the chain of actions from the intention to the breath to the sound to the resonance um, and we've really explored so many other things when it comes to anatomy and the physics of the voice but maybe not delved deep enough into intention and mindset when it comes to making sound and that's where it all begins so i hope you enjoy this conversation it's a very chill conversation we i have lots of aha moments myself as i speak to ian and think out loud about what some of my ideas are on this topic yeah enjoy i literally what's just on my mind right now is i i'm doing a group uh like a challenge a riff challenge um and this is like kind of maybe a little bit beside the point but there's a lot of um it, it's like the culture is to be quite negative about their their voice you know it's a real thing so everyone's like oh god here's my butchered version of this here's my disastrous you can't even call me a singer version of this like i i'm really amazed at like how intensely negative it is like do you what do you think about that do you think we have kind of built in this these like disclaimers before we kind of we're, we're just so i think the singing is like there's mastery of singing that we're so exposed to and anything less than that feels yeah. like butchering yeah yeah where, where did we end up there <laughs> i yeah singing is a phenomenon isn't it a cultural phenomenon and it's it's how did we get to the dizzy heights of cultural phenomenon was something which is so natural to mm. us as people um mm. the only comparison i have alongside singing is football or soccer yeah so we've elevated the playing football which and, and i'm not a football fan so i'm going to get absolutely crucified for this but you know essentially a bunch of men running around the field chasing the ball right okay uh -huh. Uh -huh. i know it's so much more than that to so <laughs> many millions and millions and millions of people around the world yeah but yeah. essentially that's been elevated as you know one of the most important pastimes uh, or things to follow in the world right mm -hmm. um yes. and it's right up there on the pedestal Yes. You know, and uh, these football players are, are held in the highest regard, the highest esteem, they're incredibly wealthy, really well paid, blah, 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 blah. But yet, kids still play football in the street. Adults mm -hmm. go and play five-a-side football with their friends, or people have a kick around in the park, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do that with singing. So yes. we've elevated singing to this high, high, lofty place in the same way of football and soccer, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, but we've, we've drawn a cutoff line as well, which says that anyone below this line can't take part or can't feel worthy of taking part. Or quite simply, there is no receptacle for them to take part in. So there's yeah. no way for them to go and sing. Yes. Um, you know, so our traditional singing places, maybe, um, like church, for example. So church attendance mm -hmm. isn't what it was, you know, mm -hmm. decades, even 100 years ago. Um, so people, you know, aren't singing together. 
um, you know, school assemblies in the mornings, you know, is when everyone would probably sing together. Um, I don't know how much that actually goes on or, or doesn't at the moment. I mean, my kids are both in a church school, so I think they do have like a morning assembly where they sing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where do people meet and sing? And ironically, the one place where people do sing en masse is the football stadium. Mm, this is true. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we've elevated it so high. So it doesn't surprise me in a way that there's people who are um, self-deprecating about their own voices. Yeah. And do you think that it's, I mean, it could have something to do with the cultural phenomenon of X Factor and the voice and turning everybody on their sofas at home into judges of singing. And the the kind of like the, the sport of judging singing is nearly more prevalent than just singing. Like we've become kind of removed from just singing because it's something that feels good to do, right? Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, Idol and Pop, pop Idol, when it mm-hmm. first started out, was another kind of cultural phenomenon. You know, everybody in the every country in the world virtually had their own kind of version of Idol and still do to this day, you know. And yeah, you're right, we became these sofa critics of, of, um, of these young people who were uh, trying to make a way for themselves singing. Um, I, I, I kind of think, um, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I, I kind of think that on mass people like a good hanging <laughs> and, you know, so to be able to sit there in the safety of your living room, and pull apart someone's voice, um, <laughs> and we're all guilty of this. I mean, I cannot <laughs> sit on any kind of judgment on this at all because I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. You know, uh-huh. we've all kind of took part in this, you know, yeah. um, but, but the, the, the really sad thing about that whole, um, a phenomenon if you like was um the setting up of people to fail oh yeah it's awful and I, I think we really saw that you know um you could see these people who were deliberately mm-hmm. put in front of the cameras to be the person to ridicule to mm-hmm. set them up to failure you know mm-hmm. and um and, and that's what's become so shocking i think about it and therefore you know if that becomes the standard that if you sing if your perception of singing is, is uh, or, or your act of singing is, is perceived badly Mm. then are you going to start to filter that down onto yourself? Do you know what I mean? Should I be singing? Should I be doing any of these kind of things? So mm-hmm. I think it definitely has had um, uh, an impact on, on the way people view their voices. I, I think voice as well is, is such an intently personal thing. It's a critical identifier of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people see us and then they hear us when they first meet us. Um, my accent is instantly recognizable and in some cases judged within the united kingdom it instantly identifies me as where i'm from your accent instantly identifies you as where you're from mm-hmm. um you know so people are making thin slice kind of snap decisions on how people sound all the time um mm-hmm. how many times have you recorded your speaking voice and you've heard it back and you're like oh my god i don't sound like that do i you know mm-hmm. it's like you know so it, it's it's not surprising that mm-hmm. that gets filtered into singing as well you know um and it can give you away, you know, you could be thinking something, but like, you know, definitely body language gives you away, but, yeah. but your, your voice can, and, and I think when those two things are in conflict, yeah. you know, what you're thinking and what you're wanting to put across and, um, but what you really feel and when they're, they're in conflict, it, it will, it will reveal you. Won't yes, it? it will reveal you. Also, we've, 
the, the larynx is, is, is wired into the vagus nerve, you know, which is wired into the emotional sense of the brain. And so the voice is always that betrayer of our emotions as well. You know, if you've ever tried to stop yourself from crying when you're speaking and how the voice gets very, very tight and wants to crack or ever tried to stop yourself from laughing, you know, all these kind of things, you know, the voice definitely does give us away for sure. Mm. Yeah. And, and so why do you think this idea of intention um, and the intention behind the sound that you make or the, the intention to sing is so important? Well, I think critic, crucially, intention behind everything we do is very important. We, we, we have intention all the time. You know, our, our morals, our, the codes by which we choose to live by, you know, that there's all intention behind all of those things. Our intention as a singer, we have to kind of really figure out. Um, and it's not easy at all because I was thinking about this this morning, actually, and I was thinking about I was I was um, a, a, a gifted singer as a child, and that got me a lot of attention. It got me a lot of praise. So it got me praise from my parents. It got me praise from teachers. It got me praise from like, the choir lead. You know, just this, this thing of praise. And as, as a child, you know, we're hardwired into that needing to fit in with the herd you know mm -hmm. so any kind of praise that you get receive you know that kind of secures your standing within your herd um is 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 always very welcome and i think you then go right this is how i get praise so yes. if i sing more and if i sing well i'm going to get praise and that praise can be filtered as to acceptance it can be filtered as love it can be filtered as belonging you know and so um, as a child, that definitely for me was my intention. I was singing yes. because it actually got me praise. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that some of the boys in my school who played on the school football team and they did well, that got them attention, that got them praise. It got them their standing within the herd, if you like. And so that was definitely my intention. And I struggle to think, it's obviously that's just me, but I struggle to think of... of, um, of many people who might disagree with that as a kid if they were singing as a child definitely i i have a very similar experience like i remember not kind of feeling a little bit average at, at academia in general you know just not really shining anywhere and then the, the moment that i figured out that singing was this thing that people thought i was special at and good at i was just like okay this is the this is the highway to happiness here let's just keep doing this and it wasn't until and and actually it was really interesting like i worked with a classical singing teacher when i was 15 or 16 and i adored her and i adored like how she made me feel so i was like I will be your lyric soprano, whatever you need me, I'm going to go all the way and like did the BMOs and did my masters because it's that feeling of like her acceptance and her excitement and joy for me doing better and getting better was just all. And, and it wasn't until I came out of college that I went, oh, I don't think actually that's what I want to do with my life at all. But it was really nice, but it's not me. And 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 now I've actually retired from singing. Like, and I, I cause I, I finally am like, that's not, even though it's something I'm good at, it doesn't mean that it's something that I'm meant to do. Mm. And I, I'm meant for something else. Um, but it was really hard in that time when you feel quite insecure and you're trying to figure out who you are and you're trying to get that praise and, and acceptance it's hard not to just lean into the singing and the performance. Yeah, totally. And I, I think, you know, you say to anyone, you know, if someone knows they're good at something, you're always like, oh, why aren't you doing it? Why yeah. don't you do more of it? Are you yeah. insane? You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like my knee-jerk reaction to you saying that you've retired from singing is to just be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I totally understand that, you know, especially because we do, we do have to accept these seasons in our life. Do you know yes. what I mean? Um, it's like there, there will be times when we're just like, right, I'm not saying, I mean, I don't perform anymore, you know, yeah. um, and that's largely because I haven't found an outlet for my my need to sing yes. right now. Uh-huh. Um and uh, if I recapture that outlet at some stage or find another outlet, then I probably will go into that. Um, but there's a certain peace that comes with actually just going, do you know what? Let it go. Like, yeah, let this go. And, and, and I'm, I feel like I may need a cleanse. It's almost like, a, like you say, I might come back to it again, but I, I feel like I need a circuit breaker on it. Yeah. I, I think I've, become, I've gotten so down the rabbit hole of, of technique and my voice and my who I am and this is my artistic identity and da, da, da. And it's just like, I actually need a circuit breaker from that. And, I, and I, I also felt like every time I was leaning into performing and singing, I was leaning away from what, I re- what really lights me up, which is coaching. Right. So I, I had to kind of go, okay, this is, I'm just going to pick one thing for now. But I think you're right. It's, I think it could be a season and it's just yeah. a season I need to have right now. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. 100%. Um, mm. you know, I, I like the idea of viewing life in seasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we are in this, um, this, this, this world is very different from the world that our parents grew up in, in that they kind of, you know, got a job and probably stayed doing that career and that job until they retire. And then, you know, and yes. we're, we're afforded a mu- much more choice and, you know, to try different things out and, and to take things into different avenues, you know. Mm. Um, what do you think then? going into about that horrible phrase which i hear all the time in fact my mum said it to me the other week right yeah those who can't teach oh yeah no ridiculous yeah no i don't uh, agree with that i think that teaching is such a uh, like it's definitely a vocation um there's a lot of for me i i love things that encompass all of my various skills you know, that really draw on everything that I'm good at. Mm. And I feel like coaching and teaching draw on that, like my ability to communicate, my positive attitude, my intense, like love for learning, my love for people, my love for growth, like all of that. It it just, and to me, that's like, that's me performing at my highest level. And I feel like I perform, I'm a better performer as a coach than I am as a performer. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because I, I agree with you. I think teaching is definitely a vocation. I think that, um, you know, uh, if I wasn't teaching singing, I think I'd be teaching something else. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I just think it's kind of in me to, to be a teacher, really. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting question in light of the decision that you've made, do you know what I mean? Because yes. you say this, you hear this quite a lot, and it really upsets me every time I hear someone say it. I know, um, and, I, and I think that people, you know... I do think it's important to be able to demonstrate or to, to be able to self-experiment because yeah. I actually find it really hard to to teach something without figuring it out in my own voice first. Even if I don't master it in my own voice, to have pretty much a grasp on how it's operating and working so that I can I can either demo it back because I think demoing is just such a brilliant like super speed way of learning something from in singing because you can see their face you can hear the sound like how our ears process sound really that kind of works on all of the the mechanical like you're not having to like you know freeze frame any mechanics you're just like listening and we're wired for imitation which i totally buy into with the, the heidi moss research um so yeah but i think that i I I definitely struggled in terms of letting go of the performance career and worrying if people then would would think I was actually still a legitimate 
teacher because that, that debate I've seen that debate happen on on forums like say voice geeks where you know some people say unless you're performing you need to be like a, a constant ongoing performer to be a really good teacher yeah well I I, I don't follow voice geeks <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't anymore yeah. no no <laughs> it's not good for the brain no going back to that issue of intention I've just been thinking as well as we've been talking have yeah. you really lost that need for praise and acceptance and love and belonging mm. and all those things that we gained from singing as we yeah. were growing up do, do, do we reach a point of like some kind of cognitive maturity emotional maturity where we go right actually no i now sing because X. yeah we never be- lose that i don't think I, th- I think it gets a lot quieter but it never goes away yeah. and i was trying to because i was talking to you when we were texting i was like i have an idea that i run with like ident because i i have like an understanding of like personality versus identity personality is kind of innate traits and then identity is almost like the dramatic representation of ourselves in the world and how okay. we want to be perceived and then i'm thinking like vocal identity is like you have your vocal accent which is like your training your influences your speaking voice all these things that are a little bit more innate your biology or your anatomy and then you have like your vocal persona or your vocal brand. And that's like how I want to be perceived or to be heard or to be like, I want people to think that I'm like R&B style or I'm, you know, really agile or I am, you know, so there are all these things that you want to be perceived as. Yeah. But it's hard. I think that that never goes away, this needing for it to be accepted and approved of, right? Yeah, this is what I think, because you, I mean, the the first thing you said was, you know, these people saying to you, oh, this is my butchered version of this song, right, okay, surely that comes out of a fear of uncertainty, a fear Mm -hmm. of of not being accepted, a fear of of being called out or found out, you know, the whole imposter syndrome vibe that kind of goes on, you know, so, um, if I really want to be accepted as an R&B singer, therefore, I must subscribe to these particular traits or ideals that make up the R&B singer, which has been culturally determined. Yes. Um, so it must still be there, that, that idea of acceptance at some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, riffing, for me, for example, um, has been torturous for decades. <laughs> just torturous, you know? It's just like, because I was a gospel singer, and so, you know, there was so many things that I don't have that kind of, like, preclude me from that community, if you like. But that sprung out of my faith, and so I was able to kind of just override that yeah um and just singing the music that i love but the one thing that always tormented me was the ability to to have a really fluid agility mm. in, in the riffs that didn't get smudged as you kind of came down and every note yes. delineated and all that kind of stuff and you know and uh i'm 44 i still haven't given up on it it still drives me mad i still uh-huh. try and practice these things all the time um but I'm at 44. I also know there's not going to be a certificate at the end of this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No one's going to go, oh, Did well it. Done, you've you made. arrived. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, so, and, and I'm not performing anyway. So it really is just this little niggle that I've got about my voice. Uh huh. Um, and so it's become really linked, I think, to, to what I perceive good singing to be. Yes. My perception is this idea to have melisma i know and there's that feeling of like scarcity 
that I don't, I'm missing something. I don't have something. And it's not really coming from a place of abundance, I think. And, and, and same for me, there are, there are things about technique that I'm like, oh, I'm not enough because I don't do this or I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, like I was, I was talking about this yesterday on my Instagram about the singers who are so like, I have to, I, I need to be able to belt. Like I, it's just, it's gotta, and there's a desperation about it. And I, and I sometimes want, especially when we're, we're working with artists and we're working with original music artists and they, you, you don't want them. I suppose I worry that they're running away from their own voice or that they, and I used to do this and because, because I can, I can be agile um, in certain parts of my register, but I find that I do it to hide rather than it to kind of express it's more right. me hiding because i think my tone isn't isn't good enough oh that's really interesting mm-hmm. really really interesting i think the older i've gotten again um i think there's a beauty in a sustained single note with vibrato <laughs> at the end of it yeah totally. <laughs> you know, just like the perfectly placed vowel Yes. Perfectly placed amounts of air pressure, getting these chords to, to oscillate and resonate at an amazing pure frequency, tailed off by a really, really tasteful vibrato. That's... Actually, it's magic. Yeah. You know, Mich- Michelin star. Michelin star. And we, and we don't hear enough of this because we do get, you know, the, the, the riffology kind of going all over the place and people kind of playing lead guitar on their voices. Um, and, uh, and and so there is that. So I, I do, don't get me wrong, I love a tasty riff. I really do. A well-placed tasty riff is also Michelin star. Yeah. Right? But it seems to me that we're having to eat at a lot of crappy restaurants at the moment sometimes. You know? Yes. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and, and I don't know why riffing and that has become so massively important. I mean, clearly it was to me. <clears throat> yes. No. But um, I also knew that I didn't want to riff every word. Yeah. Phrase. I had enough about me to know that actually. I know. Uh, you know. We need to hear the words here. But what you said about hiding is really interesting as well, because that that pure Michelin star note with the vibrato at the end of it is bloody difficult. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And the allows us to kind of paper over some of the cracks. Yes. And I think I used to have, and I probably still have a mindset of the things that are easy for me to do that are actually quite natural for me to do that I haven't really had to work too hard for yeah. are, are not enough. They're not like okay, I haven't, yeah. you know, so like that's too easy. So I couldn't get it that couldn't be impressive if it's that easy for me or and again that's like a really good word that like I, it shouldn't need to be impressive yeah. it should it should not that should not be the intention yeah. um but you know when i'm being really honest that's always been playing on my mind i'm like you know and i don't think i've ever been maybe confident enough about my ability to be vulnerable or to like be and the Definitely towards the end of my career, I started figuring it out. But most of the time I was really just trying to show up and deliver like to the highest level I could as a technical singer, mm. uh, you know, which I kind yeah. of I, I, I reflect on it now and, and, and wish that was different. But that was just where I was at. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no right or wrongs here either. Mm-hmm. I think there's you've got this binary concept of right and wrong all the time and it's hard to find the grey. Yeah. Middle ground, you know, and um, you know, again, going back to that word "should" 
or shouldn't, you know, oh, you shouldn't riff as much. Oh, you shouldn't belt as much. Oh, you should be belting more. Oh, you should be riffing more. Just applying this constant kind of pressure mm-hmm. and not allowing us to communicate. And um, for me, the intention behind singing, you know, besides those kind of primal things of acceptance and needing to be loved mm-hmm. and all those kind of things, you know, it really should be about communication. Yes. You know, simply, you know, the communication of an idea or an emotion yeah or feeling um and so anything that kind of um uh, amplifies or projects or um effectively communicates what it is that you're trying to do is, is fantastic mm-hmm. you know that's absolutely fantastic yeah um you know if someone wants to sing that with a breathy tone right okay oh my god the chords aren't closed jesus right but you know who cares do you know what i mean yeah. it actually comes across yeah. and, it, and it seems earnest um i think that's that's absolutely amazing, you know. So trying mm. to get people to communicate, I think, has, has got to be the standard right yeah. now. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, I've recently, as a hobby, taken up comedy improv classes, and it's the best hobby ever. love it so much. But one of the big key learnings in the whole process has been discovery. And that, like, you don't, you're not allowed to plan what's going to happen when you step on stage. It's all about discovery. And you don't know what your scene partner is going to say. He might uh, endow you as a, an American nail technician. And you're just going to have to go with that on the spot. That's absolutely fine. Um, and that you've just had a divorce or whatever it's, it's going to be. And I'm just wondering, what do you think about discovery on stage you know like how much should a singer leave up to chance um and kind of for that real authenticity of like being in the moment and surrendering to the moment um, I, I can't imagine it really being any other way yeah to be honest with you um you know we, we can train people's voices we can kind of you know introduce people to the concepts of you know chest voice and head voice or thick fold thin fold we can introduce people to the concept of mix we can look at vibrato melisma all this belting all this different kind of amazing stuff but we're never there on the stage mm-hmm. we're never there actually doing this and it's mm-hmm. the stage which is going to show people you know um fundamentally things like you know oh that song went down really well or that song didn't go down really well just you know as the most obvious kind of items of discovery but then yeah getting further into it you know it's just like if you're especially if you're an original artist you're going to test out your melodies your um your range all different kinds of things when you're on the stage um how you interact with an audience you know that's a massive thing that you can't teach people mm-hmm. um they have to be on the stage and learn to do that so i think discovery is is, is definitely paramount it has to be there i don't i don't think I, I think I can lead people to discover things about their voices in a clinical setting mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I think more discovery probably takes place on the stage. Mm. Mm. And yeah. in their private practice time as well. Yeah. And um so with intention, say when they're singing, how 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 do you encourage them to be like present and in that like discovery mode with with their intention? So if they're in this in the session with you is there anything you prompt them to do or, or how do you help them kind of get into the moment? Well, with the, with, I mean, it's easier for me to do this in theatre, mm-hmm. in musical theatre. It, I, I think it's easier. It's not easy. It's easier. Um, just because a character has been presented 
and we can either take that character as a single moment in time or we can look at the broader context of, context of the musical and place the character within that context so we can look at things like you know um what does this what does this character want how do they think they're going to achieve it how is it going to make them feel when they achieve what it is that they want and then the singer or you know actor um can actually put their take down on how they get those kind of emotions across so in theater i find it a lot easier to say to people you know um sing this line in three different ways for me you know mm-hmm. so pick a way of singing it once okay and then try with a completely different way with the same notes and the same words but see if you can put your emphasis in different places see if you can use your voice in a different way so that's kind of easier when we're working with um covers like pop covers i find it really really hard because i think the intention is just for everyone to have good crack mm-hmm. and to just enjoy themselves so you know the band wants to enjoy themselves the singer wants to enjoy themselves and they therefore want the audience to enjoy themselves and then everybody's just having a fantastic time and everyone feeds off of each other um and the intention could also be that you know they want to be rebooked they want to be remembered they want to get mm-hmm. you know work they want to get known um and then original material i think you've got to have that really honest question about you know why did you write this song mm-hmm. what is this song about can you remember how you felt when you got the hook to this song or you got the overall idea of the song or the picture of this song, whatever it was, however they work, or you first played that chord sequence, mm. you know, what, what resonated with you? What was the emotion that was stirred up? You know, mm-hmm. what do you want to communicate? And I think we've got to keep going back to that all the time um, and then allow the voice to come out of picturing that feeling or that emotion um, or even if they can revisit that emotion, trying to connect back into why they wrote the song. Yeah, I, I think I heard a really nice um, analogy for emotions and thoughts. It's in a book uh, by David Hawkins called Letting Go. Oh. And he talks about emotions are like, imagine you're, you're a Google Drive and emotions are the folders and then within the folders are the thoughts. So there could be 10,000 files in the folder, but the folder is the emotion. Um, and it's probably the, you know, the best gateway into like really clarifying your intention and, and focusing you and um, and kind of like the, the what are they? Mad, sad, glad and a frad. Are you like, <laughs> you're four afraid, are your four main emotions that you're, you know, kind of in? Yeah. And, and <laughs> this is another comedy improv thing that I that I have um, picked up um, but yeah that mad sad um, glad and a frad um, and of, of course you have like versions of those yeah. but it's really interesting one of the exercises they got to do us got got us to do in class was to walk around and um, you know just kind of walk walk around neutral and now walk around with sadness and notice what happens to your body, to your breathing, how everything, you know, how your posture, how your like gait changed. These, I mean, the changes were so dramatic. And then, then ang- like uh, uh, mad, so anger and the tension and the like being held and like the intensity and the aggressiveness and the speeding up of the walk. And um, it was just really, really cool. And I, I was thinking about, okay, performing and singing and having like this perfect technique and breathing in and this like rest and digest state. And we're like releasing the diaphragm and da, da, da. 
And I'm like, oh, but is that really going to set up the emotion of the phrase? Because if the phrase has intensity and aggression in it, and I have had an inhalation style that's very rest and digest, are they like going, are are they at odds with each other? Is there any way to reconcile that? It's, It's so true what you're saying. I mean, like, especially because a lot of the time, if we are singing, um, I'm, I'm, we're not kind of aware of these things. We are in a kind of fight, flight, or freeze kind mm-hmm. of condition anyway. Um, you know, especially when we're dealing with issues like of stage fright. Um, mm-hmm. so you've got like a scale, haven't you? have got like stage fright as in terror. Yes. <laughs> you've got like, you know, um, nerves about wanting to do a good job here that kind of boys up and get us really pumped to go up yes. on stage. And like, you know, the, the, um, uh, the uh, your, our adrenaline system can't really tell the difference between being chased by a predator and sitting uh-huh. on the stage in front of a group of people. So, you know, we get um, our mouth goes dry because our digestive system shuts down because you don't need to eat while you're being chased by a lion. Mm-hmm. You know, if, like our our skin flushes because blood runs to the surface so that if we get injured, then we'll scab quicker. Mm-hmm. Right? You mm-hmm. know, we need the toilet because the body wants to avoid us of any extra baggage that we may be carrying around with us you know so there's all mm-hmm. these kind of lizard brain responses mm-hmm. that we're having to fight at the same time yes. yeah so this idea of this lovely relaxed inhale you know, kind of like <laughs> yeah. the world you know knowing that belted note is about to come off on a really angry phrase in the song yeah it's uh-huh. counterintuitive as well and especially if you're if, if you are anxious or nervous it's mm-hmm. got to come across in the body Mm-hmm. so the body's going to portray us yes. in the same way that the voice will yeah. at the same time yeah. and, and you know we think that we can you know like this is the just be positive just think positively and like there is a good and something I'll come, come to next but like uh, what you're saying about it's the betrayal that I would be worried about that you're like just pretending I'm fine I can do this everything's great and you're not really listening to your body and working with it but I think what what is good is I, I think uh, it was Bruce, uh, Bruce Springsteen was talking about Oh, before I get on stage, I get this feeling like my stomach is churning, like I'm I'm tingling, I'm I'm like shaking, I'm like I want to jump up and down, and I'm like all of this is like, and that means I fit. That's my readiness. That's when I know I am so ready. <laughs> and you're like, oh, and another person's interpretation of that is like, oh my god, I'm about to die. This is terrifying. Please, somebody, where's the exit? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you know, again, looking at that idea of herd mentality, it's like you know we are a herd animal. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're a very, very social animal. And to put ourselves outside of the herd is incredibly mm-hmm. risky because it invites danger. It invites that idea of being attacked mm-hmm. by a predator potentially and killed, you know. So we've either got a thrill seeker kind of, you know, whoa, I'm going to put myself outside the herd today. Do you know what I mean? I'm really mm-hmm. I'm dead excited because I know this is dangerous, but I like to live on the edge. Right down to this kind of, you know, oh, crap, right, okay. I've got to go outside the herd today and I might die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the body's response to being on stage, even though you know that you're not going to die, barring some incredibly unfortunate and freak random accident, right? Uh-huh. It's, you know, but still, that's the way the body actually is yes. going to react. And I don't know how to unpick that hard wiring. Are you a Bruce Springsteen? Uh-huh. Are you someone else who is like absolutely just like, well, you literally got to push me out on the stage right now because I'm terrified. You know, I don't yeah. know how you flip between them or if you can even I know I think it's like reframing it as a gift like your your body is like helping you it's like making you feel focused and energized 
um, and if you fear it, therefore it matters. So it's an indication that you're doing something that you really care about yeah, yeah. because, because, you know, the, the stakes are very high failure isn't uh, something that is okay for you in this situation. And so therefore, you know, your body's doing everything it possibly can actually to help you succeed. It's yeah. giving you the energy, the focus, the intensity. And so you've got to, got to look at it all as gifts, I think. And, and also, yeah, kind of get on board with it. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. yeah I love, I, I love the whole concept of reframing because it it does flip things over you know and it, that, yeah that, that's brilliant yeah so i think that there's a difference between um that kind of toxic positivity where you're just repressing or suppressing something or, or kind of moving away yeah. and, and and managing stress and you're like stress is a brilliant thing stress is amazing that makes you like work really hard and achieve yeah. things yeah. um and it indicates what's what's important to you um so i think it is the acceptance of it and working with it and engaging it yeah yeah i know i love that so mm. you're really right i think you're right i think there are definitely these like i said lizard brain systems that you know are there you know mm-hmm. and it is we're not animals in yes. many ways you know so we do have the ability to kind of process i think and that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to isn't it it's the, it's the ability to process process yes. reframe yeah um you know uh, switch your thought processes to, to make this into a positive thing i think it's a, yeah it's a great tool absolutely yeah, I think, and that comes down to the intention of like, okay, well, how am I going to use this? How am I going to use this feeling that I have right now? Yeah. Um, and like you say, process it and and listen and I think not pretend or kind of run away from it. Yeah. There's was, there was one other concept that I haven't been able to reconcile yet. Um, and that is expression uh, versus surrender and that's kind of coming back to this discovery on stage and kind of leaving things up to chance and not planning like when I sing this note I'll make this face and then I'll I'll think this thing when I hit that sentence that you actually allow yourself because some people feel like oh my god I, I worry about singing that song because actually I could get upset and I don't want to get up, up upset on stage and, and lose the run of myself and and I've heard um I think it was Heidi Moss that was t- talking about um how the the singer you should in your rehearsal you should really see if you can push yourself over the edge like really see what is the cliff edge for you emotionally and if you understand what the cliff edge is for you emotionally then you're going to be able to kind of manage it much better in the live performance Mm. um which i thought was quite quite cool but what do you think about expression because in this book i'm really into this book that letting go by david hawkins but he talks about all the different ways we process emotions so we have um repression um so repression is the kind of unconscious pushing down of the emotions like squashing them down the suppression is more kind of an active i am aware that i'm doing this um uh, there's escape um i think escape like running away from it distracting ourselves um expression so expressing it and kind of like propagating it and and pushing it out into the world and then there's surrendering so actually allowing it to take course um and i imagine that like you you know you are a dad of two you've probably had the kids come to you and they're like oh my god this is happening and, blah, 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 blah. and you kind of need to just let it play out i imagine rather yeah. than like yeah. actually try and fix it for them they just need to like go through the process yeah what what yeah and, and it's yeah it's, it's a good analogy really so if my kids get upset about something i have to my instinct is to go 
what are you crying for? Because <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It's no one's never. died. Do you know what I mean? Let's get some focus here, right? <laughs> but like, and then my, but what I'm getting better at or I hope I'm getting better at is actually allowing myself to remember how much smashing my Lego meant to me when I was nine years old. Yeah. And how utterly devastating that yeah. was, you know. Um, and just allow them to cry out. Yes. You know, because they will stop crying eventually. They're not going to cry forever. Yeah. It's that kind of, you know, social shame, isn't it? If your kid's crying in public, it's like, therefore, you're a bad parent or you've lost control of your children. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, you know, I remember a safari park visit, which was just hellish beyond belief, you know, because my son just practically cried for the entire two hours that we were there. Oh, you know? my goodness. But he, it's because he was upset about something and he couldn't yeah. communicate because he was two years uh, old, you know, oh. so... Kids are great at that, aren't they? They kind of they, they they get overwhelmed. They don't have the repression or suppression systems that uh-huh. we kind of learn as we go through life, you know, because we learn what's socially acceptable, what's not uh-huh. socially acceptable, um, and so they just process. And I think I think what you were probably talking about was this concept of flow state. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, being and, and yeah, surrendering and allowing that presence to happen on stage. Like, is is that concept relevant to singing on stage? Is that too risky? I mean, we can't like fall apart and let it all flow out on stage, or can we? What do you think? I think we can. Mm-hmm. I think we really can. And I've definitely had flow states moments when I was singing, um, especially when I was singing gospel choir, when my faith was um, so tied up into the music and, and, mm. and what I was singing and. Um, there's this kind of phrase in the Christian music kind of community, which is like surrendering to the Holy Spirit, you know what okay. I mean? surrendering to this higher power, this influence. And I think, you know, an, a, a secular way of saying that is probably flow state. It is mm-hmm. just being in the moment when you're singing, where the words connect to you, um, the notes connect you, the resonances of the pitches that you're at actually connect and resonate throughout the body. The endorphins are produced at certain frequencies. We know that, you know, and you find yourself in that situation where you don't know how you got there. You don't quite know if you want to get out of it, but it just felt great. And and I think it is, that's the ultimate, I think, for any artist is to, to, because then you'll, you'll want to revisit that as often as you can. Yes. And, and they know, the audience know when it's new to you. The audience know when you're, go- when you're going through something and you're, exp- and you're not just kind of regurgitating yeah. uh, some template. Yeah. You're actually experiencing something and they can feel that and they can notice that. That's kind of like, really, that's probably, the I think, the, the mastery level. Like when when the surfer is like doing something that's like I don't I've never done this before I've never yeah. done a wave this high before, yeah. Yeah. that's the what excite we can feel that in them. Absolutely, and and also that's not going to be, um, because a singer has hit the perfect belt or, or blasted out the perfect riff. The singer could be sat on a stool with a guitar sobbing, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you will connect into that authenticity. It doesn't have to be this amazing high note. You know, I think I think we're, we're good at sniffing out BS as yes. people, especially in performances, you know. So I think um, it's it's yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's going to come from expression. It's going to come from surrender. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to come from. Um, you know, <laughs> I could take a Rossini scale off the top of the piano. Do you know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. going to be that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an argument, a very strong argument, that 
if you train your voice and if you're more technically proficient at your voice, then therefore you can do more with your voice. You can achieve more and more with your voice. And therefore you might have the guts to go for a note or a phrase that you may not necessarily have had the guts to go for in the past. This definitely, definitely all helps, you know. Um, I imagine just going back to um, the football kind of comparison that there are moments when players are, are, are on the field, a, a massive game where the stakes are incredibly high, like the, the winning of a tournament or something like that, where, you know, afterwards they're like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I, I don't even remember what was happening. You know, it was just, mm. everything just seemed to feel right and everything just seemed to slot into place. Mm-hmm. And you know that all their years of experience of training have actually yes. assisted them to arrive at that particular moment mm-hmm. um, and held them to, or compelled them to operate at their highest level. But, singing i i think also it's it's not necessarily about a technically amazing voice that's yeah. going to do it every single time um i think it's going to be about that authenticity that emotional connection which comes out the people yes. play with you know yeah so i i think that it's just things get out of focus and they get out of balance and i think the the insecurity a singer has about like oh god what if it goes wrong what if i fail what if people don't think i'm good and they're like so the word that I hear all the time is, um, I want better control. I want to control this. I want to control that. And I'm like, okay, sure. And so I, I understand their need, but I think you're right. It's about this, like, um, building in that that memory, that muscle memory, that those neurological pathways, um, that this is just kind of second nature. Um, and then you get on stage and you allow yourself to take the risk and to see what see what happens and and get into that flow state isn't it absolutely and the biggest thing for me that's always done it for me is um when people sing together mm-hmm. so um when people sing together um we we already know that there's some kind of um uh, like vibratos synchronized when people sing together mm-hmm. there's heart rates synchronized when people sing together there's this amazing kind of thing that happens to us as a group of people mm. and um and I, I get moved to tears when people sing together i don't know why i, mm-hmm. I get a tingling all over my body uh, mm-hmm. you know especially if they're in harmony together i mean mm-hmm. that just floors me completely you know and that mm-hmm. absolutely does it for me 100 and i'd rather listen to people singing in harmony than i would a, a single person and um when we're in harmony and we're singing in harmony together is there a group intention that takes over? Is there a mm. group emotion that takes over? Is mm. there a group something that takes over? Are people thinking about themselves when they're in, when they're singing in harmony with other people? And I don't know if they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's supplanted by something other that the group kind of brings together, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, and that's, so that's a, a really interesting thing for people to explore, I think. If, you, if, you, if you've never sung in a group before, whether it's a local community choir or, or anything, just the joy of kind of that singing together can actually give people the opportunity to surrender. Mm. But, you know, because yeah. it's not all about them yes. singing in front of however many people. It's this group effort, it's this collaboration. Yes. And I think people can find that surrender. And it's probably a really good training ground for people who do want to experience just singing yes without the cost yeah and letting go of controlling their own success and doing it for the the greater good of the group and for the team and and for and then therefore for the actual message yes 
yeah absolutely and we do we you know we do work incredibly well as people when we're yeah in, we work yeah collaboratively you know we're, we're almost hardwired for this totally. you know? so maybe this is why singing solo is such a big deal yeah because we don't feel like we're in this collaborative even though you know, there's a band and there's a team and there's you know stage and sound and all the rest of it it's still like ooh, all eyes on you do you know what I mean yeah um, maybe that's why this is such a big deal. Maybe it's a little bit against our grain yeah. in in a way. Yeah. That's interesting. So is there anything just on a final point? Is there anything you do in a session? Like what, any ways you help a singer clarify their intention or focus on it or in anything you do before they sing a song? I know you were talking about thinking about their motivation, the emotion, um, do you, like because I I know myself when I'm working with a singer I'm I'm not a, a psychotherapist and um, I think what I would lean on is definitely the word why I want to know why and then I ask why again and then I ask why again yeah. like a two year old and I and it's really interesting what you end up getting to the bottom of can be quite revealing and important yeah. um but is there anything that you do that kind of clarifies that intention for them very very similar things and, and um, it's not going to come straight away it may come five six seven eight sessions down the line because trust has to be established because mm -hmm. singing is very vulnerable as we've already established mm -hmm. and it's very vulnerable when you're singing in front of one other person and it's extremely vulnerable when you're sitting, singing in front of one person who is actually supposed to be an expert at the thing that you're wanting mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. psychological relationships are just flying all over the place when we're in a singing lesson i'm sat behind the piano that instantly elevates me to being on some kind of throne, if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sat behind the piano and, you know, and, and they're there stood in front of me and it's like, you know, I get them to sit. I get them to uh -huh. kind of chat, you know, uh -huh. um, just, just trying to kind of, you know, how was your day? Yeah. The most important question, I say this on the Bast course, I know you've heard me say this before, is the most important question that we can ask a singer when they come in is, how are you? Yeah. Um, you know, because not only because getting them to talk gives us a wealth of information about how their voice is functioning that day, but also it just lets us know, you know, what's going on right now. Have they just rushed frantically up the hill from a really stressful mortgage meeting? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, or are they have they just done like two hours of solitary meditation and are completely zen? You know, it's like mm -hmm. all these different things. Finding out about their lives, finding out about the stresses in their lives. Mm -hmm. like we've got to have that two-way kind of trust, if you like, and then yes. we've got to find out more and more kind of things about them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the first thing is establishing the trust mm -hmm. if yes. you establish the trust then i think we're going to peel back the layers the other thing i think that hinders us and this is an interesting one i don't know if you agree with this or not but what hinders me i find is the english language so the english language because it's been so kind of awash with all different influences from all different cultures and you know we've got we can say in 20 words what the spanish will say in three you know mm -hmm. And, and so I think we do sometimes adopt this kind of over flowery, over kind of poetic, over nice way of saying how we're feeling, you know, it's never, <laughs> I feel like crap, right? <laughs> Always, you know, well, I'm not feeling great today, to be honest with you, because, you know, blah, 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 blah. We, we, we have to kind of just add all these unnecessary words. Yes. Whereas if we had, if we actually were just like, you know, I feel like crap and you go, oh, why is that? Because this happened. How did that make you feel? made me feel like this okay uh -huh. and what do you want to do about it well i want to go and do this uh -huh. no, i think we would get to the root of things but there seems to be this kind of like i don't know if this exists in other languages i'm sure it does 
but oh, it's in English. Oh, it definitely does. I, it, there's a, a book by Sam Harris called Lying, and right. it just talks about how we're all constantly lying, you know, <laughs> over verbosing things like, you know, not really saying exactly how we feel, exactly what we think, yeah. exactly what's on our mind, and just protecting everybody else's feelings. Yeah. And we're kind of not doing anyone any good. And that was one of the best things that you did for us in Cork when you came to teach the BAST course in Cork um, was you were just very um, lean and direct with your with your feedback. And, and you didn't know no feelings were hurt. You know, it was just there were some some truths and some people had to be kind of coaxed into yeah. the truth a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we're exceptionally grateful by the by the end of the week that you were truthful with them and you were honest. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you kind of have to be. It's hard to be. It is hard, um, you know. And uh, you know, no one wants to stand up in front of a group of people, especially a group of teachers, yes. and do badly. You know. Yes. And um, and it's trying to remove this idea constantly of good or bad. It's it's. Mm trying to focus down on what happened and what could have yes, happened totally. you know and if we can you know this happened and therefore the knock-on effect was this and this maybe if we'd done this the knock-on effect could have been this 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 and this you know why yes. don't we try this and see what happens you know so really try not to kind of you know make things into that uh, good or bad thing and, and yes. you know, i'm sure you know you're the same as me Gemma. throughout our careers you know we've probably made every single mistake in the book we probably said every wrong thing that you could possibly say to a person you know um and all you can do is kind of learn from it and grow and reflect and kind of try and be better at what you're doing um and because this is such an emotional topic and it's so you know loaded yeah trying to pick our way through you know trying to get get the realities out there but yeah but not just destroy someone in the process i know it's hard Hardware, you know? and, and it's trying to remove yourself from that position that they put you in of yeah. you being the adjudicator of what's yeah. right or wrong or good exactly. or bad yeah. and I'm always getting people sending me videos and they're like oh please will you uh will you tell me how my, how my singing is am I doing it right and I'm like oh that's not my job I don't do that that's not what you know I can help you but you yeah. need to have a question to ask me so I need yeah. to understand what you need from me before I can give you any feedback and I remember um Meribeth Dame said to me she's a, a very famous uh, pedagogue um said to me if you don't um never never offer feedback without a solution like always and, and always be in a position to offer the solution yes like I, th I thought that was really good so because because I wanted some feedback from her because she watched she sat in on one of my classes and she was like I'd have to work with you on something I'd have we'd have to have a little session together so yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to share it um, but if we get a chance to work together, we could go through it. And I was like, That's okay. And, and just that, that one example that I always use, I think you've heard me use this before, is this idea of telling young girls, teenage girls, that they sound nasal. Oh, yeah. Without a solution. Oh. Just you know I mean? That's nasal. And then the <laughs> next thing you know is they're a nasal singer. And they, in, they introduce themselves as, hi. You know, my name's Susan. I'm a nasal singer. Yes, like, I know. Where the heck did that come from? Was there ever any solution offered to you? Oh, no. You know what I mean? So no. I agree with her. I, th I think it's absolutely right. Oh, my God. It's, it's incredible. And like how that turns into 
uh, you can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy but it's it, you just like you're you're like if you've ever received a comment on youtube under a video you'll just see there'll be like a hundred positive comments there'll be one negative yeah, comment and that's the, def the the definitive one yeah and so like you have to be so careful with what you endow somebody with um because yeah. they can really take take it and run absolutely and it becomes a label and identity oh. and it's so hard to break that down and kind of convince them otherwise you know so yes. we do, we, words are powerful, you know, we have to be really, really careful. And again, made all the mistakes that probably is to make. Yeah, you know, yeah, me too. Many more in the future as well. But, you know, hopefully with our growing kind of awareness of ourselves and, and, um, mm -hmm. and of the singer, I think, you know, we can we can make the singing world a better or at least easier place to navigate, you know. Yes, that sounds like a good mission. Thanks, Ian. Welcome. You're the best. I really Thank enjoyed you. this. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Ian really is a bit of a legend. And if you are looking for a great vocal coach, look no further. He is one of the best. He helped me immensely with my voice. So you should check him out. I put his contact information in this episode description. So I will see you for another episode, hopefully next week. Bye.